Once again, welcome to our podcast, Regulation Matters, A Clear Conversation. I'm your host, Lyon Dempsey. I'm with the North Carolina Dental Board. I'm the senior investigator there, and I'm the current chair of the National Certified Investigator Training Committee with CLEAR. For those that are not familiar with CLEAR, CLEAR is the Council on Licensure, Enforcement, and Regulation, and it's an association of individuals, agencies, and organizations that comprise the international community of professional and occupational regulation. Our podcast is a chance for you to hear the latest and greatest in our community. I'm very excited about this episode as it is a lead up to a conference session that's being presented in the administration, legislation, and policy track at CLEAR's 2018 Annual Education Conference in Philadelphia this September. Today, I'm joined by an expert panel representing the U.S. and Canada to discuss the role of regulators in health workplace data collection. First, I have Dr. Gene Moore, who is the director of the New York Center for Health Workforce Studies and serves as principal investigator for two corporate uh, agreements funded by the Health Resources and Services Administration, the Oral Health Workforce Research Center, and the Health Workforce Technical Assistance Center. Also, David Armstrong. Uh, Dr. David Armstrong is the director of the Health Workforce Technical Assistance Center at the New York Center for Health Workforce Studies. Dr. Elizabeth A. Carter, um, she is the director of the Virginia Department of Health Professions Healthcare Workforce Data Center and executive director for the Virginia Board of Health Professions. And finally, Dr. Ivy Lynn Bourgeau, um, a professor at the Telfer School of Management at the University of Ottawa and the Canadian Institutes of Health Research Chair in Gender, Work, and Human Health Human Resources. There's a lot of workforce and a lot of work and human stuff in all those introductions, so welcome, everybody. <laughs> Hello. Thank you. Hello. Hi. Great. Well, thanks for joining me. Thanks. Um, we uh, certainly do look forward to this. So the topic is regulators' role in health workforce data collection. Policymakers and planners in all jurisdictions face complex challenges in assuring access to needed health care services. Evidence-based decisions require objective and comparable uh, provider supply and distribution data. Licensing boards are in a unique position to help. Let me start by posing, I guess, a question for each of you individually, but we'll, we'll, we'll go one at a time. Um, Jean, starting with you, can you tell us why states are increasingly interested in health workforce data and why they look to collaborate with licensing boards in developing data collection strategies? Sure, happy to answer that. So for starters, I think it's important to recognize that there are a limited number of national data sources on the health workforce. And unfortunately, uh, these sources can be fairly problematic for a lot of different reasons. They're not always up to date. Um, they can be incomplete, they can cost money, and probably most importantly, they typically aren't able to support small area analysis. So that kind of raises the question, why should states be concerned about the availability of health workforce data and the issue of being able to conduct small area analysis? I think it's generally recognized that states need data that can support health workforce planning. And so what do they need to know? Um, they need to be able to describe the supply and distribution 
of health workers. And um, I think there's a, a wide array of uh, professions and occupations for which there is an awful lot of interest. Primary care providers, behavioral health professionals, oral health providers, obstetric, obstetrical providers. I, I think that um, the issues may vary by state, but I think there is recognition that um, the need for understanding the workforce in a state is, is really critical. Hmm. Um, and, and supply and distribution really is the starting point. So then what? You know, once you know about supply and distribution, what can you do? Probably one of the most important things is to identify areas of need. And again, I, I think that um, in, in trying to ascertain where are the areas that perhaps have the um, greatest need for certain providers, um, it doesn't lend itself to looking at a, at a county level or a state level because a lot of times what you find is um, a great deal of maldistribution. So a state like New York, say, looks to have an awful lot of providers um, in, in a lot of different professions, but unfortunately they're, they're pretty um, poorly distributed so that we may have large concentrations in some areas and, and shortages in others. So um, again, it, it really does require small area analysis. And then what do you do with that information once you get it? Um, the real key is developing programs and policies to address the workforce needs in, in underserved communities. So why are state planners inclined to collaborate with licensing boards on the collection of health workforce supply data? You know, frankly, it's a, it's a pretty logical choice. Um, license renewal processes create a great opportunity for collecting data needed for workforce planning purposes. And clearly, state licensing boards in partnership with key stakeholders within a state can help support the collection of data needed to inform um, state-level workforce development efforts. That's, that's very interesting. Um, I guess it would be helpful, like, for example, um, you know, coming from my background in, in dentistry, um, you know, if we have underserved populations that maybe a, an area doesn't have oral surgeons in that particular county or the neighboring county, that would be information that you guys could take, and then um, what would you do with that? Well, I mean, I think one of the interesting aspects to that is that maybe in certain areas, and, and probably the best example is rural areas where, you know, perhaps there isn't a sufficient population base to actually develop um, an and, and oral surgery practice. But what you could do is build some strategies for getting people to the services they need, sometimes through telehealth. So I, I think that it's not, you know, an issue of, oh, we need more of this or we need more of that. I think it starts with, what do we know about the population? What do we know about the needs? And what are the most efficient ways to get services to them? You know, another area in oral health just relates to lack of access to general uh, dental services. And in some states, they've introduced um, dental therapists. 
as a way to create access to basic restorative oral health services for underserved populations. So, you know, again, I, I think it's important to recognize it's a multi-pronged strategy, but it really starts with good data to understand what the issues are. Excellent. Well, let me move over to David then. Um, David, the HWTAC, or the Health Workforce Technical Assistance Center, um, has been tracking state health workforce data. Um, it's been doing this collection for the last three years. Uh, can you tell us what you're seeing? Are, are more states engaging in health workforce data and collection? Uh, you know, are licensing boards more actively engaged in these efforts? What, what, what seems to be going on? Well, first let me go ahead and tell you a little bit about ourselves. HWTAC was formed as a cooperative agreement between the New York Center for Health Workforce Studies and the Health Resources and Services Administration, that is HRSA. And we were created as a partnership between the New York Center and the University of North Carolina. And our primary mission is to provide technical assistance to states and organizations engaged in health workforce planning. And we have three areas of focus health workforce data collection, analysis, and dissemination. And you can find out more about us on our website at healthworkforcetta.org. On our website, you will find an ever-expanding webinar library and our state health workforce data collection inventory, which we use to track state data collection efforts. And as of right now, 49 organizations in 36 states report collecting health workforce supply data. And the vast majority of those states collect data with the corporation of their state licensing boards. Indeed, more than half of the licensing boards in the country collect health workforce supply data. And in many of those states, the data collection is mandatory. Now, in regards to the data collection itself, a lot of states follow HRSA's minimum data set guidelines, which describe the basic questions you need to ask in order to have enough information to conduct basic health workforce analysis. That is, states aren't collecting mountains of data on individuals, but instead they are trying to collect just what they need to answer those basic policy questions. <laughs> now, actually, back to your original question, uh, yes, since the onset of our tracking system, there has been an increase in interest in collecting health workforce data with the Corporation of State Licensing Boards. And as Gene noted, this has largely been driven by the understanding that you need good data to make informed policy decisions. That, that makes good sense. Well, let me then see what we're doing up north. Uh, Ivy, um, what are the Canadian best practices in health workforce data collection, and how are these efforts um, helping inform and develop health policy and decision-making? Super. Well, thank you for that question. Um, uh, what we prefer to use, the term we prefer to use in Canada are sort of promising practices. We have 13 um, jurisdictions plus uh, the federal government. And so um, we experiment in one jurisdiction and hopefully translate that to others. I think that health workforce regulators um, play a really critical role um, in data collection, and it just kind of reiterates what Jean commented. The licensing renewal process is a really great opportunity to collect data. 
Um, one of the uh, data sets that we uh, used to have uh, for physicians was the National uh, Physician Survey. And um, with the and it was a, a survey of all physicians, a census of physicians, and the response rate was getting to be, you know, 17 percent. Um, and there's really great difficulty being able to say anything robust with uh, that type of response rate. So again, when you're getting, um, you know, exact information from the licensing renewal process, that's a real promising practice. Um, so I'll draw upon the example of the province of Ontario where I'm situated. And um, it is a province that has umbrella legislation for all health professional regulatory mm. um, bodies. Uh, we call them colleges here. And right. um, uh, the colleges have a mandate in the legislation that they are to provide to the Ontario Ministry of Health um, 59 data elements. That is similar to the HRSA's uh, minimum data set um, guidelines. So all health professions that are regulated, and there are over 20 that are regulated, some are not, such as you know, personal support workers, um, but you know, many of them are. So we have over 20. Um, and for a number of years now, we have um, some robust data elements. Um, and it's important that we look at data elements that are not just about head count, but looking at activity and participation rates, because um, we know that there have been changing practice patterns that doesn't only exist within nursing or medicine. It exists across the board. So um, it's not like a nurse is a nurse is a nurse. So we need to um, have um, data elements that captures um, more than just head count. Um, so I'll draw upon three examples there, um, uh, the first being um, nursing and um, midwifery. Um, midwifery uh, is a very small profession uh, in our country. We have uh, direct entry midwifery exclusively, so we don't have nurse midwifery um, as you do in the United States. And because it's a small profession and has developed um, more recently, there's a small number of, um, of providers and we are able to have standardized data across uh, the country for them because um, it's a bit easier um, to do that. Um, nursing is the largest profession, but it has been making um, extensive efforts um, at the different uh, regulatory levels, registered nurses, practical nurses, nurse practitioners, you know, to get some very exact um, information about them. And so um, although we have in the province of Ontario 59 data elements that all regulatory bodies must contribute, that is not the case across, um, across Canada. Um, so nursing has been working really hard to have some standardized data across um, the, the 13 jurisdictions plus the federal government. Um, in the case of medicine, as I mentioned before, they were having difficulty uh, in terms of the response rate for the National Physician Survey. Um, and um, building on the uh, processes in Ontario to have those um, 59 data elements that are provided by the regulatory body, there has been a... Um, a process spearheaded by the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons of Canada, our national uh, regulatory college, to kind of coordinate amongst um, jurisdictions the collection of a minimum data set. Now it's fewer than the 59 data elements, but at least you know there's movement um, to collecting that. So I think that they have four or five jurisdictions that now, um, and then the other jurisdictions are going to follow through to um, make sure that there's a standardized data set. 
Um, other professions, you know, have been looking towards having more coordination of the regulatory body. So we've been working um, with a dietetic profession, um, and so we're very hopeful that uh, that they will that they will come on board for that. And by we, um, I mean not just uh, my uh, chair in gender work and health human resources, but I coordinate the Canadian Health Human Resources Network. And we work in partnership with the Canadian Institute of Health Information. Um, and uh, they have been coordinating um, national data collection. And so they are working with tools provided by the World Health Organization, most recently the National Health Workforce Accounts, you know, to really try to have very um, uh, standardized data across the jurisdictions. It's, it's a difficult task, and regulatory bodies can play a really crucial role um, in being involved in this process, again, uh, because of that uh, primary opportunity uh, at licensure uh, renewal. Now, in terms of how these efforts have helped health policy decision-making, um, as uh, both David and Jean has mentioned, um, this is very important. Knowing what your health workforce is um, and how that um, needs to be adjusted to meet changing population needs is critically important. And we have... Um, I would say we don't have a concentrated table where we have those discussions. The um, federal, provincial, territorial um, assistant deputy ministers on health workforce do gather together on the Committee of Health Workforce. And both the Canadian Institute of Health Information and the Canadian Health Human Resources Network, we um, coordinate a biennial, so every two years, Canadian Health Workforce Conference. And that is where we present you know, some of the latest data, some of the latest research on health workforce issues. Um, our next conference is this fall. And we do have a healthy uh, participation by um, health policy decision makers at that conference. Um, and then in between conferences, we have um, different conversations uh, where we try to address um, you know, the different health workforce needs of different jurisdictions. Um, and so I'll close off with one very specific example, a jurisdiction that we've been working on. And it gets into um, the issue that Jean um, commented on in terms of small area analysis. Um, we have been working a small team at the Canadian Health Human Resources Network with the Toronto Central um, Local Health Integration Network. So it's like the Regional Health Authority for um, uh, the City of Toronto. Um, and they've been very interested in doing interprofessional primary care workforce um, analysis. And so the data set that they collect in Ontario is one of the data sets that we draw upon um, because we want to cover off uh, a number of primary care providers, not just primary care physicians, but nurse practitioners and others who contribute um, to primary care, um, and bringing in a variety of different data sets. And um, one that has been really um, very helpful is the Canadian Institute of Health Information has created a tool called Pop Grouper that gives you a very close sense of what your population health needs are. And so what we've worked with the Toronto Central uh, Local Health Integration Network is to create a model where we meet 
the population level data and the health workforce data to do um, workforce planning on an ongoing basis in their in that local um, region um, but then we're hoping to work with other regional health authorities to really build on that um, so those are some examples from uh, from the far north great well, awesome well then let me go a little closer to my home in Virginia Liz can you describe your state health workforce data management system and your strategies for translating data and information that are needed by your stakeholders Yes, thank you so much. Uh, I, I think I've got a little bit of a different perspective because uh, in Virginia we have a, our, our uh, Department of Health Professions. It houses uh, our 13 health professions licensing boards. Um, it also has the, the Board of Health Professions that, 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 uh, that has research staff there. Um, and back 10 years ago, it became a mandate uh, from our governor uh, through his Health Reform Commission to create the Healthcare Workforce Data, data Center within our agency. Uh, we had licensing data that dated back to the 1980s uh, for over 60 professions already, and, and everybody's sort of used to providing information to us. Uh, and to today, uh, we are surveying uh, 28 of those professions along with our nursing uh, education uh, for LPNs and RN programs. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the question that you've got here, sort of, I want to turn it around a little bit. Um, you said, what are our strategies for translating data into information that's needed by stakeholders? Our stakeholders told us the information that they wanted. Uh, we brought together uh, members of our General Assembly, the, the Governor's Cabinet, academicians, the professions themselves, of course, the licensing boards. Over 100 stakeholders uh, told us the key policy relevant questions, which ended up being sort of our multiple, our minimum data set that uh, uh, Gene and others have alluded to earlier. Um, so the demographic characteristics, the age, retirement plans, your, where are you practicing? What are the, the patient uh, characteristics that are there? Um, what are your plans for retirement? Uh, how much educational debt do you carry? How much income? Uh, those you know, kind of key questions, not only for for research purposes from our own uh, governmental policy and planning, but for chambers of commerce, uh, information that's interesting to, to students and, and career counselors. I mean, you, you name it, the questions that they wanted answered uh, can be addressed by what they wanted to have, and hopefully we have this now, census quality data. So uh, we, we've incorporated uh, our surveys into our licensing renewal system, which is online. Uh, and we get uh, uh, about, on average, 85% uh, response rates. I've gotten as high as 97% response rates, and as low as about 60%. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? It's in our law. <laughs> uh, we had legislation passed in 2009 that uh, you know, we have the right to collect that data in the first place, because you have to have that. You can't just be big brother and, and collect a lot of this stuff without statutes that permit it. Uh, but it's something we found that our stakeholders up you know, in the beginning the, the professions themselves want to know a lot of the answers to these questions. And um, every time we, uh, we get our results back, we do a report to the respective licensing board. We post it on our website. Uh, and we also do breakouts by uh, uh, geographic regions that have policy relevance. It may be Workforce Investment Act, or it might be uh, area health education centers, we, uh, health planning districts. We do a lot of just geographic breakouts. Uh, it, we try to make it as close as we can to what, what a census would be. And so we do a lot of data visualizations. Uh, and what we instituted back in 2013 
was a, a very consistent methodology across professions. You know, we found before that you know, some professions may not work a 40-hour week, that their, their typical work week may be 32 hours, or it might be 55. Uh, but we came up with a standard uh, full-time equivalency measure of 2,000 hours. So you can compare and contrast multiple professions on that full-time equivalency variable, as well as the demographics that we, we, we sort of mirror what's in the, the U.S. Census to the degree we can, so we can tell you lots about uh, uh, the, the sort of the, the uh, ethnicity and age and all those kinds of things. So um, it's been it's been a wonderful last 10 years. Uh, our members of our general assembly reference our information. Uh, we're often called upon to include information about where people are working and, and what their specialties are and all those sorts of things, which we now have at our fingertips uh, because we have a, a, the 10 years worth of data. Uh, across these multiple professions. So um, we, we are uh, speaking to the, the regional information that, that uh, have been alluded to earlier. Uh, we do uh, provide the data for our uh, health professional shortage area designations that reported to, to HRSA. Uh, so, and that brings money to that locality. Uh, that brings a lot of resources that wouldn't be there otherwise. So we're getting a return on investment from this data. It's, it's not only from uh, from a like I said, from a governmental perspective, but it's also for those communities, it's very, uh, it's very apparent and it's very, it's, the value is just there for them. Um, we have also been involved quite a bit uh, in the opioid crisis. Uh, we need to know where our prescribers are. Um, we've been working with uh, multiple other state agencies um, to look at, I'm getting into the weeds here, but buprenorphine prescribing, you know, who can do that uh, within certain areas. Uh, we've worked with uh, uh, Department of Criminal Justice Services to look again at the opioid issue. Uh, we've also um, been involved in helping students uh, and guidance counselors just have a one-pager. You know, not everybody is going to be a dentist or a physician or a nurse, but you might be very much interested in being a respiratory therapist or a rad, rad, rad tech or a lot of other professions that you don't think about. And, Part of the things that we're looking at, you know, we're looking at team delivery for the future, so we really need to understand more than just the, 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 the larger professions. And what we're able to now do is give you insight into, you know, you get pretty good money being a dental hygienist, for example, uh, for two years of education. Absolutely. So, you know, so what we did was look at, at the, the pipeline from that perspective, you know, make sure that students are aware, you know, just for a couple of years past high school, what you can do, you know, get that math while you start out early. but. Um, that is, has been distributed to uh, the, our guidance counselors and our career counselors in the community college system. So there's a lot of you know, stakeholders out there, and we try to address as many of them as we can. Um, and we do respond to individual questions from researchers. Uh, we have been sharing our, our, our minimal data set, our, our approach, um, you know, with lots of other states. Thank you, Gene, and your folks, uh, and, and Dave, and all those for, for uh, pointing people in our direction. And, and we, you know, we love to work with others. Uh, the key we try to make sure that we're, we're working on here is being able to to cross-reference back and forth across all these data collection efforts. Um, uh, our data are cross-walkable with the Federation of State Medical Boards, the, the surveys that they've been working on, uh, the National Council of State Boards of Nursing, the Federation of State Boards of Physical Therapy, uh, and also we're working with um, the psychologist counterpart. So, um, you know, we try to make sure that, you know, you're not going to get it word for word, but we'd like to make sure that we're all uh, we're able to do apples to apples comparison because that helps us all. Very good. Well, I think my appetite is quite wet to to hear your presentation in, in September. I think it's going to be very interesting. 
Um, I do want to thank um, all of you, uh, Gene, David, Ivy, and Liz, for your time and, and being a part of this CLEAR podcast. It, you know, it really is wonderful to have the opportunity to share and learn from each other, and I really like the idea of getting a, a preview to a presentation that's going to be happening at our annual conference um, in September. So um, I look forward to, to hearing you guys then. Um, and I also want to thank our listeners. We'll be back with another episode of Regulation Matters, a clear conversation very soon. Please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already on Podbean, on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or TuneIn. We're available pretty much everywhere. Um, and you can also find out more information about us at www.clearhq.org um, for additional resources and a calendar of upcoming training programs and events. Also, on the apps that I mentioned earlier, you can leave feedback um, and comments, which are always helpful to us as we bring this program to you. Finally, thanks to CLEAR staff, specifically Stephanie Thompson, our content coordinator and editor for our program. I'm Lyon Dempsey, and I hope to be speaking to you again soon.